episode of the agency podcast eugene here your agent in toronto hello this is candy your agent in chicago how are you doing eugene i'm doing well thank you it was good. nice to have a, a little bit of time off oh good to, to recharge recharge and you know fill up the idea bank very nice i'm having two cups here i've got a cup of tea and a cup of hot chocolate the hot chocolate is from a friend who she came into town and she brought a lovely gift of hot chocolate and wine. And it's been sitting on the shelf for ages. The reason I made it was because, you know, we were talking about weird communication and marriage, I guess a week or two ago, and, um, you know, snafus and stuff. And I never know if I send stag to the store, what's going to come back. I just, I can't even begin <laughs> to predict. The- I, could re- I could recall the baking powder episode. Right. So we did, I did send it to get baking powder. I told our listeners and I talked about that here, what, probably a month or two ago. And he came back with six boxes of containers of baking soda. And I said, you're going to bury me with this because I'll never use it in my lifetime. So um, now I sent him to the store for whipping cream because I like to, in table cream in Canada is I think 35%. And it's very, very nice. But half and half here is about 10%. 
or it's some figure like that. It doesn't really matter, right? It's just a little creamier in Canada and I miss it. When I'm there, I'm just so happy to have table cream. So I've taken to getting whipping cream and making my own version of cream by adding a little bit of milk to it, right? So right. I wrote whipping, and now I usually buy that when I'm shopping and get the stuff. So I made a list. Okay, okay. Can stuff. I do a car, a Carmack yes. or Kreskin yeah. or whatever? Yeah. Did yeah. he come back with one of those cans that you shake and press the nozzle? And <laughs> yes, Kreskin, you're right. <laughs> That's great. They'll be delicious in coffee. It, 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 it is. You know what I saw in the fridge? <laughs> it was a mystery to solve, though, because I one day saw it in the fridge. It must have been there for days before I noticed it. And I went, what the fuck? Who's been in their house? I was like, who would have put this in here? And I thought maybe because maybe my landlord was sending down a treat or something, but he wouldn't have come in and left it. Um, no, it, it was. If you that, asked for whipping cream. You got whipped cream. Oh, I know. The defense I know. rests. I know the defense rests. And I did. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, whipped cream, whipping cream. He probably thought, oh, great. We're going to have some fun at home with whipping whipped cream. <laughs> <laughs> so I realized, oh, I've got Monica's lovely Dutch dark chocolate. And um, we might as well start to have it. Um, we still have the air conditioning on and it's still boiling hot out, but hey, hot chocolate is always delicious. Well, sure. Yep. Well, I'm just here with the Duke of Earl Grey with <laughs> just a touch of honey in it. Very yummy. I love Earl Grey. I love London Fog. That's where they make it with uh, latte milk and in the stores. I Earl see. Grey with, uh, you know, steamed milk. I love it. Now, where were you? Why didn't, why did we have our first official? Hey, this is, maybe this is season two of the agency because we took a break, our first break <laughs> ever. And we're back from our um, hiatus of production. Of, and we missed went. one episode. One, <laughs> one episode, that's it. Like, what's the big deal? I love right? the idea of season two. Okay, um, we're into season two. Season yeah, two I just it think is. it's hilarious because we never ever discussed whether we should do seasonal podcasts or anything. Um, now, where what happened? Oh, I just took off out of the city for a couple of days of camping. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, and I I wanted to uh, I wanted to go out and explore a trout stream, and I know of a couple little streams back in the woods, uh, north of uh, Massey, Ontario. So I, I stayed at the the shoots. A lovely campground and i drove up into into the bush and uh um i could tell you these trout streams in august having had a season of all the underbrush growing were very thick and difficult to access right the last time i was there the streams were difficult to access because it was may and the water was three feet over its banks oh. this time it was hard to access because of all the, the brush, particularly the, the tag alders. Mm. And it was hard to get down into the valleys because you couldn't see it's steep and you can't see your footing. And I am not exactly a gazelle, as you may know. <laughs> I've seen you play pool. You're pretty uh, slipped cool. on, the, on the pool table. I'm a horrible pool, pool player. And my oh, memory wow. of you is quite different. Really? Oh, yeah. I'm not a very good pool player. I thought you were decent. So anyway, I had I enjoyed a few hours out um, fishing, and I could tell you the fishing was great. Yes. In this case, the catching <laughs> was really poor. Oh, yeah, okay. I didn't catch a darn thing, oh. but I had a lovely time 
poking around uh, some trout streams and um, and then uh, I uh, just relaxed in the in the campground and read a book and yeah. met some of my neighbors and chit chatted yeah. and that's all. Yeah, was that I really awesome. just wanted to get away for a couple of days? Yeah. Do you think it was too hot for them to be out and about? For the trout to be out and about? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, the water was low and clear. Um, usually around this time of year, they start to perk up a little bit, but it has been really hot. And so they were probably under the deepest cover. And yeah. maybe if I fish just before dark, I might've done better, but I didn't really want to do that because I was quite a way um, along a road that goes to nowhere. Yeah. Uh, and I just didn't want to do that in the dark. Okay. That's fair. So, that makes sense. Good safety. So what, what did you do with your time off? Well, you know, it was kind of weird because I, I, I did miss it. I do feel like all of a sudden this massive amount of time seemed to spread before me. It feels like weeks and weeks, but it wasn't that long. And we've also pre-recorded episodes and let them ride out ahead of us with if we're traveling or time off or something. But um, I, I did watch a few more things without concern that I was going to maybe talk about them. I watched some, you know, pretty bad TV probably. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you just need a dose of bad tea. Yeah. I did watch some stuff and um yeah, and 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 enjoyed a lot of it. Um I got back to some reading. I read Dennis McCarthy's book again. Oh, excellent. Yeah, because I, I um he invited me to be on a, a round table with him at Fancy. a conference. So I thought I've got to revisit this. I've been reading about and my idea was I have been researching surprise. And the thing is, and research on surprise and what people are coming up with things for surprise. And the long-term goal is that I'm doing it because I'm uh, I'm fascinated by magic, reveal, and initiation in mystical traditions or experience. And surprise is sort of part of that. Um, to have that device of surprising someone so that they get to feel something themselves. And I was curious what research has been done about surprise and, and learning. And there's a lot. And I thought I'm going to look at his book under those, under those, that framework, under mm. that lens, if you will. I'm not doing a presentation, but I thought it would be fun to have a weird angle on it or something. So mm. I'm, I'm just, the wheels are spinning. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Yeah. 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 Sometimes my brain actually is spinning and working and thinking. Huh. <laughs> um, I wanted to take a minute to call, uh, to acknowledge uh, the passing of a great American uh, painter, muralist, um, musician, folklorist, collector of music, oh. educator, um, Art Rosenbaum passed uh, on September oh, really? 4th oh. at um, 83 years old. Oh. You know, when I first encountered Art Rosenbaum, I didn't even know about his painting. And I'm a painter. You'd think I would know. Think you um, would know. But, I, you know, I sure did know his music. Um, he played banjo in many tunings. He played fiddle. He sang with a voice that you would not call sweet. He told stories. He traveled. He created field recordings. And in 2008, uh, Art Rosenbaum won a Grammy Award for Best Historical Album for wow. his music collection, Art of Field Recording, Volume 1, 50 Years of Traditional American Music, documented by Art Rosenbaum. The man was an American treasure, yeah. and uh, it's a, a sad day that 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 he's gone. Yeah. 
I'm sorry. That is really sad. Uh, I I had a chance to meet him and chat with him very briefly at a banjo camp a few years ago, um, and also a chance to hear him perform live and tell some of his stories and talk about how he learned the dozens of banjo tunings he yeah. he played played in. Um, really a remarkable man. Did so much for uh, preserving. A, a lot of historical vernacular American music, um, really a, a, a fabulous thing. And uh, a fellow who was always curious, um, always wanting to learn and always wanting to teach. So I just wanted to acknowledge uh, Art Rosenbaum, uh, gone where they send the good ones, 83 yep. years old. Yeah, I'm sad to hear that. And, and you know, it, it hurts when, when you admire someone and really care about their body of work and they go, um, you know, you got me crying and getting some little, I'm getting onion eyed over here. But yeah, there is something about it that you just feel like that era is not going to come back again. And um, they don't make many people like that. That's, that's exactly it. You know, stop it. You do have, you do have me crying. <laughs> I know I'm kind of teary eyed talking about it too. Oh, it's, uh, just it's a pretty, me pretty special, uh, yeah. special guy. Yeah. Um, it's weird because it kind of ties into some feelings I've been having about something we might talk about today. Okay. And um, I don't know if we want to jump there, but I, I would. Sure, there's no rules. There's no rules. We kind of um, text. Well, there's rule number six. Yeah, rule number but six. Besides rule number so six, seriously. there's no rules. And we kind of had a little back and forth about why don't we um, really conscientiously talk about can we separate the art from the artist? And this passing of this man is where I don't want to separate it. And of course, it's where there's sometimes we're just when we think of that, we think of the bad person, right? We just think of that jerk out there or the challenging personality. But when someone passes that we care about and, um, you know, we have no reason to it, that adds to their body of work in a weird way. Um, and the opposite would be someone like, the challenging personality. I've got a couple here the other way of someone like, you know, Johnny Depp or Kanye West, just to name some in the news recently, where you're like, they didn't break the law, but maybe they're just not as, you know, my romantic. Maybe they're just not very nice. Ellen DeGeneres maybe is in that category. I, you won't believe it. I have Ellen DeGeneres on my list. I'm like, I'm Nixon over here with my blacklist. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, it's I, like, a, I, I hadn't really thought about people like who are, who we now vilify as a group before. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it is yeah. I just heard um, about a fellow that I had only heard people talk glowingly about, and that's when, when Butler um, one of the members of Arcade Fire is now facing multiple oh. allegations of um, uh, of uh, sexual impropriety. I don't know the details. I don't want to know the details. Oh no, this is killing me. I love I love Arcade Fire. Well, and then that's that's the thing because we uh, we want we want to think that the people who make the art and the music that we admire um, are beacons of the values that we take from their music. Um, but often it's not the case, and often they're just disagreeable people uh, who you you know you. Yeah, I remember you know I in, I went to 
I was passing through out west and I stopped in the, in the Banff Center many years ago and there was an artist there and I, I don't want to point fingers We're at not this particular say guy. Their name, um, I just want to say there was there was an artist there who I had really seriously admired. Yes. Uh, uh, an American sculptor, really, really interesting person in in so many respects in the in the work. And in the short time I was around this guy, I thought, <laughs> I don't want to be around this guy. I don't, I don't like him. Yeah. He's really, he's really greasy, you know? Yeah. And I, I can't say he did anything bad or said anything horrible, but the vibe around this guy, it was just awful. And right. I can't look at his work the same way anymore without thinking of this guy that I took this instant dislike to. Interesting. And totally unfair, maybe. Well, maybe, know. maybe. But I think sometimes you're, you've got this intuition, you're reading mm. something in their body language and you're not entirely knowing what it is. Yes. It may um, be more fair that, like, I, I don't want to watch Woody Allen movies. Well, this is it. I was going to say, I 99% of the stuff that we hear about celebrities and artists and performers, but let's stick, well, those are all image makers, right? Storytellers. I couldn't care less about. It's none of my business. It doesn't change my opinion of their finished work at all. Nothing. Um, but if they are sexual predators breaking the law, um, you know, ripping off people from their pay, then we've got a legal breach and an ethical breach that does, it does affect me. When I was a teenager, I've talked about reading um, a Charlie Chaplin book. Well, the thing that upset me in Charlie Chaplin's um, memoirs was the stories about Fatty Arbuckle, who I, I really did love silent film and I still do. It's a little sideline passion of mine. And, um, and Fatty Arbuckle got into trouble and he, he was canceled. We didn't call it that then, but he was completely gone from Hollywood. A woman died at his um, apartment or hotel and raped by a, a champagne bottle or something. A violently bled to death because of brokers. Just, you know, it was a terrible story like that. You know what? I think that kills it for me with Fatty Arbuckle. I just, I'd like to see him portrayed in a movie. I don't know if it's true or false, but it was a real yeah. turnoff, right? Yeah, you know, for me, I guess I have to look at the individual situation more than anything yes. else. I yeah. don't think I have like a policy on this. I don't have um, a policy, but... I, I would say that also there's so many things. I don't think this is a short topic. That's what's interesting about this is yeah. because I think there's other variables like time. The Medici's probably weren't angels, but they were patrons of the art. And we, um, we don't know what Titian was like, but we're so far away from it that we can decide almost free form if we like it or not, or we might decide to not like it. If I had any problems on that, I always come back to the fact that they were there representing the upper classes. Yeah. And also, if it's historic, it's also froze, frozen in a narrative about the history, yeah. not just in the actual history, but in the way the history has been told that's acceptable to the, the larger historical. Yes. Yeah. Plus, then the other thing without writing that off is sometimes you see Mr. You'll see uh, ritual and customs preserved in those for better or for worse. So they are still interesting in historical artifacts. Um on some level i mean listen we don't what's the um what's this what's the sculpture the very fleshy woman venus she's like almost like a circle female form uh seventy thousand years ago we don't go oh he was a real jerk or she was a real jerk that made that you know what i mean because we don't know 
We have no idea what it was made for, who it was made by, but we can, it, we can take things from the piece itself. It's saved from that kind of um, personal, ethical, legal judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple of other people that are just challenging, challenging personas like Ted Turner, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, Zuckerberg, Kanye, Allen, and Johnny Depp off the top. But then you've got Kevin Spacey. You've got Roman Polanski. You've got Woody Allen. Let's, let's stop for a minute at, at Kevin Spacey. Yeah. You know, recently, Sheila and I were looking for some some movie to watch one evening, and we're surfing around the, the various streaming service, services. Yeah. And uh, Sheila said, do you know anything about whatever this movie was? I don't remember the name of it. And I said, let me look it up. And I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> and it had the cast in it. And yeah. what they had done is they had plucked out Kevin Spacey as if he didn't exist in the cast. So I don't know if that's IMDb that did that or if it's Rotten Tomatoes who did it or what, but but there was no nothing that said that Kevin Spacey was in this oh, film. What movie was it? Because there's a, there's a movie that I don't was remember not listed. What, I do I not remember the name of the movie. Right. But what I do remember was watching it and seeing, oh, Kevin Spacey's in this movie. They yeah. didn't say it. I mean, that's the obvious thing is that they had canceled him from their aggregator. Or he was on there and he was not. There's a, there's a couple of movies he's in why I could see he was never originally on the credits. I don't know if he's. Oh, no, this one. He was he was one of the stars for sure. OK, this one. He was one of the stars as well. I'm like he was sure. like, yeah, he was all over the movie. He was, it was not just a small role. I'm agreeing with you. And I have a feeling I'm just trying to see if I can look it up and see if his name wasn't on it in the first place. Uh, because I just want to see if my theory is correct. I wish I could remember the name of the I movie. know, I wish you could too, so that we could go in there. Yeah, um, my theory is probably correct because he's not on Wikipedia. But maybe I should see if he is on another movie where they've taken him off on Wikipedia. Let's just see. Maybe he's been stripped. Maybe he doesn't exist anywhere. <sighs> And that is, I, I don't like that. If, if in fact, they're scrubbing that media so that he's not on it, I think that that's wrong too. Right. Well, let me give me one more second while, you, while you're there. I'm going to see if, no. The movie he's taken off of, I believe, is he was never on the credits in the first place. Because of the storyline is a mystery storyline and we don't want to know that he's what, in it. What was that movie? Well, I'm not sure I want to say. Um, was it Seven? That you were looking at? No. Okay. Was it the usual suspects? No. no. Okay. But I, I could no, see still why on that? I could see why on both he's on Beyond the Sea where he plays, he's a starring role. Um, I could see if there was a reason to take somebody off the credits, it would be Bill Murray's not on the credits of Tootsie because he's doing a cameo surprise and they don't pay him, sure. or they did pay him. But sometimes there's a reason. I mean, that's weird. I really am curious what movie that was now. Uh, yeah, and you know, I don't remember it all. All I remember about it is that he showed up in the movie, and <laughs> uh, and I I I thought, well, no, I if right. if I had looked about the movie, yeah. saw it was a Kevin Spacey movie, yeah. I probably would have said, oh, I don't want to watch this. Well, that's what guy. I was going to ask you. Would it have stopped you from watching? It may. It, it may very well have it, stopped. It me. would today. It would today for me. Um, 
I haven't watched a Roman. I love Roman Polanski's Chinatown. Met Tessa the D'Urbervilles, love him, but I have not watched any of his newer films. And what's yeah, interesting right. about him is that Jack Nicholson never got blacklisted by that. And Jack Nicholas introduced the woman and took her to Roman Blanche. Jack Nicholson, house. not Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yes. sorry, not the golfer. <laughs> the it would have been a way Jack, different story if the golfer Jack was Jack Nicholson was not... Um, really ever never had to pay for that and what about um, Jerry Lee Lewis I still listen to his music even though I think his marriage choices are unsavory um, well yeah I still listen to his music too but you know when I do I'm, I'm very cognizant that he is really a kind of creepy guy I know he's I know. a pretty creepy guy yeah yeah so uh, I don't but know but it was also just... tied tied in to a part uh, a, a part of the American culture in which yeah. that kind of behavior was kind of normal. Yeah. And I don't know if that's why I'm accepting it. I would say it's just because he was from a different era. So I don't feel as personally involved in it. Mm. Yeah, and, maybe that's um, it. If it's, if it was somebody like Wynn Butler now, that is disturbing because that's somebody I consider a peer. That's somebody I feel like could be my friend. And um, mm -hmm. the, in a band that I really thought might be, you know, self-conscious of that, aware of that, um, fighting that. Does that make sense? And uh, I mean, also, the other thing is, though, if he is he cheating on his wife or partner or is he raping women? And I don't know how to how to answer that from what I've read about the allegations um, the answer depends on your point of view. Um, oh. the, the people who are are saying that the that the sex he had with them was not consensual are disagreeing with his assessment of it. Apparently, a sexy advertisement. No, I said consensual sex. Oh. He said he had consensual sex with these women, and they're they're complaining that no, no, no. But I don't know the details, so I'm not going to say more than that. Right. Um, and his wife is standing beside standing by him right 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 well interesting i will look into it i wish i'd yeah. known that before we started this yeah but and then you know I, when i when i read about that i i read that uh ryan adams is another indie musician who's had the same problem and i didn't know that i didn't know that but i could tell you that yeah. i wouldn't go to a ryan adams show i sheila and i were given tickets for, for a yes. ryan adams show once it was down at harbor front so he said, oh, this guy's supposed to be good. We'll go down to the show because tickets free we might be good. So we go down there and he decided he would do the whole show without turning any stage lights on. Right. So there's a band up there in the dark and they're bored and they don't want to be there. And there, it was really horrible. And we just got up and left. We, right. we didn't we didn't last halfway through it. It was just so awful. I want to read Wikipedia's definition of sexual misconduct. Is a misconduct of sexual nature which exists on a spectrum that may include a broad range of sexual behaviors considered unwelcome. This includes conduct considered inappropriate or an individual or societal basis of morality, sexual harassment, and or criminal sexual assault. That's a pretty broad thing. But however, generally, from a purely legal standpoint, sexual misconduct is a lay term which represents a boundary that has been broken, dictated by a moral set of conduct, 
particularly where the situation is normally non-sexual and therefore unusual for sexual behavior, or where there is some aspect of personal power or authority that is some aspect of personal power or authority that makes sexual behavior inappropriate. That, I, I, that sounds like a good definition right there. A common theme and the reason for the term misconduct is that these violations occur during work or in a situation of a power imbalance, such as sexual harassment. It often frames offenses which are non-criminal, but nevertheless violating of another person's personal boundary in the area of sexuality and intimate personal relationships. So this is a very tricky situation. If he was touch, if he was hugging women behind the stage on the set in a rock video, um, maybe even performing intimate scenes with someone who the camera is on and they didn't know they were free to say no, that could become sexual misconduct in the workplace. Whereas, um, do you know Aziz Ansari? He was in, he's the um, guy who was um, in um, Parks and Recreation a few years ago. A woman went out on a date with him and she wrote an article and said it was the worst night of her life. And she said his name. She said how the conversation went and it was published online and it blew up the internet. And he, he got, he caught hell for it. Um, people were saying he was inappropriate. For me, it was a terrible date. He did not sound like a very good date. He did not sound like a gentleman. Um, he didn't. So you don't think, think it was, it was his behavior equaled the level of outrage. Um, I not at all, not, yeah. it, not and, at all. And, and by the way, I should also say, I said a few minutes ago that Jerry Lee Lewis's behavior, and specifically, I meant marrying his underage cousin, yes. um, may have been culturally acceptable Correct. in some place in America at the time. Absolutely. I I just make it clear, I didn't yes. mean it was good or right or not really creepy. You. I agree with right. you. Uh, on, on Jerry Lee Lewis, I really don't know that much about it. And really, when we were younger, we kind of just joked about it, that you married your cousin. The cousin part seemed way worse than the... Well, and, and how many I'm pop songs were about underage, wanting to date underage girls? Absolutely. There were tons Absolutely. of them. And now when I hear them, I hear them now, I think, oh, you couldn't ever have that song today. Yeah. Yeah. Teen Angel. I don't know. There's no. tons of them. There's, there's if, tons of them. If she's teenage a teen sweethearts. angel. Well, Teen Angel is okay if you're the same age as her. If you're older than her, it's not okay, in my opinion. And I suspect it was an old man singing it, you know, 25 or something, singing mm -hmm. it about a teenager. Um, so I don't know. I don't know the song. I guess we could look that up. But I'm saying if it's I mean, whatever, clear, there's like dozens of right, pop but songs. But if it's Ricky Nelson, who was a teenage pop star singing Teen Angel, I'm fine with that. Teenagers are going to sing songs about each other like that, and I want them to. So it is all these variables and we all have different variables for some. It really, it was more the skittishness was about his cousin, even worse than 13. However, sometimes parents wanted their kids to be off and married, you know, push them out to get married and mm. put a paycheck and you're going to have a good life and uh, blah, blah, blah. And it may or may not have been acceptable at the time. I, I, I don't know. We'd have to, you know, we can look into that later. It is creepy, but then, so it's things like Bill Cosby. A no-brainer for me. You drugged women and raped them. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I don't care if your show goes on there. I can also imagine in 20 years from now, they're going to get reruns and people will watch them and they will enjoy them without the kind of uncomfortable feeling I have. You know, I remember reading the book Heat. Um, yes. Oh, I, what was the author's name? Was it Bueller? It um, I, I, anyway, it's a wonderful book. 
in it he he writes about Mario Batelli, who yes. he at one point I guess yes. had kind of really looked up to, and he described his um, his lifestyle. And I won't ever forget this because I've never heard anyone's lifestyle described this way as <laughs> wretched excess. Yeah. And really, it was probably about two years after that, that his whole kind of empire fell down because of collapse, because of his wretched excess behavior. And inappropriate tips behavior. from staff, taking st- tips from staff. Oh, is he yeah, doing so, that as well? I thought yes, that was, was. Uh, 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 Lydia's son, uh, Lydia Bastianich. Well, they son, may have Joe. too, but it's Bill Bur- Bulford. Bill Burford, and you lent it to me when I came here. Oh, yeah, it's a great book. And it was a great book, and it was a lot of fun to read, and it did have that expose. And he but it was interesting, cool. like he just was so matter of fact with his language uh-huh. yeah. that you kind of dismissed it. Oh, yeah, this guy lives a kind of excess lifestyle. But I think when he said wretched excess, in the fullness of time, he <laughs> really meant wretched excess. Yes, yes. yes. Maybe we just didn't know how to take it at the time. He definitely did. Mario Batali did not come out good in that book. Absolutely no, not. No, not. The other thing is, too, what about ugly divorces? Do they affect our love of art? Oh, um, probably. You've got Billy Joel and Christy Brinkley. You've got Jason Sudakis and Olivia Wilde and Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. I mean. Oh, that one was special, wasn't it? Yeah. Their court fight. <laughs> Full on televised. Yeah. So, you know, it can make you nervous. Um, and then the fans taking sides because they don't want to give up that art. They're taking sides because they prefer this artist over that artist. So that's kind of interesting too. You know, oh, well, Johnny didn't do it that badly. Amber Heard took so much heat for that situation and she had so little support on it. Um, I don't think she was innocent. I think they were both dead drunk. Um, but I certainly do think that he had the power over her she was 23 when they got together and he basically still has a power level over her by being multi-famous multi-rich and um you know wielding, wielding that power in the um in the household communications um so there's there's that but as he's and sorry so what happened with him was he did get pulled and people were joking and he got into a lot of trouble but I think also some people said, well, you know what? This was a date. He didn't, he, his, his manners were very poor and he did not, he sounds like he did not listen to her when she was sketchy about, she didn't want to sleep with him. They'd had oral sex, but she didn't want to have uh, sleep with him and she wanted to go home. And I guess he was pushy. And I think most women, every one of us have been in a situation where a guy was too pushy and we wanted to sleep on it or not be there and not be in the room and and change your mind and um but does that make you evil no it just made you not sensitive and um he's married now he got married in 2022 he's got several specials on netflix he's very very funny i'm glad that he has a career and he got support from a lot of people compare that to ck louis ck oh he's also trying to make a comeback of playing in ground clubs right yes now louis ck i do believe there's a scale I really do. It's not easy to talk about that scale because it's all personal, except for when it comes to the law and rape. Then it's not personal. That's absolutely go ahead and cancel them. You know, um, I'm OK with Charlie Rose being let go. His his appropriate. He, he touched women. He at work. He was inappropriate in the workplace. He should have known better if he was at a bar. Most of these guys, if they were at a bar, we'd all be like, wouldn't say a thing because that's that's where you do it. 
you do it in a bar, not with your coworkers. And if a woman doesn't like it, she's at least in a bar and can say, fuck off or leave me alone. But when you're in the workplace, you're afraid to say that. You're afraid to stand up against them because you don't want to lose your job. And so then um, Louis C.K., you know what? I was going to try to remember that there was a scene where Stag and I had a big fight watching his TV show years ago, about 10 years ago. And he was in a restaurant with his girlfriend and he said something and she called him on it. And Stag and I had a fight about it. It was, it's pretty funny. And I was like, that joke's not funny if you don't understand that the joke is there for her to be on top, not him. That it's her side that makes the joke. That she's the historically pure one on the right side of history in their fight. That's why it's funny. It's not funny if you're taking Louis C.K.'s side. Because a lot of his um, sitcom was him acting badly. It was about him not reading the room, not being sensitive to women, not understanding. And then he had these two daughters. And that was the interesting part of the of the sitcom. So when he gets called out at work, I am so bad at talking in a, in a podcast oh. uh, about pop culture uh, or about art and culture in that I had no idea the man had a sitcom. He had two. He had two. Two. And, and they were very good. They were very, very, very good. Very All I can funny. tell you about Louis C.K. is one line uh, <laughs> he came up with, which is, it It doesn't matter who's president when you have bacon in your mouth. <laughs> That's which a good is look. still funny, no he matter how inappropriate it is. It doesn't matter when you're divorced, you're both happier. It doesn't matter how horrible the divorce was. When you're divorced, you're immediately happier. And, you know, he has some great lines. I, I like him. I would see him. Uh, because you know what he did? When this shit came down, he talked naked. He was jerking off to a woman on the phone. That's what he did at work. That's the main one I remember. It's wrong. It's inappropriate. It's, it's illegal, in fact. It's sexual harassment in the workplace. However, you know what he did? He said he was sorry. He said he was wrong and he was going to learn to be a better person. And he had to answer to his family and daughters. To me, you should be able to apologize and, and come back and, and, and try never to do it again. And I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. Not okay with Bill Cosby, deny, deny, deny. And, and trying mm-hmm. to outwit and gaslight us all. But at least Louis C.K. said, you're right. I did that. I'm a jerk. I'm going to apologize. I am sorry. I'm going to fix it with my family. Because he's got little kids that are going to grow up and find out about that. You should answer to that. And you've got daughters, motherfucker. So, you know, um, I, I, I give him credit for that. Now, uh, we know somebody who went to see him when he went back on his first tour. And it was a year after the scandal happened. And his opening line was, so how was your year? <laughs> right? So I was... And they went to see him because, oh, you know what? They're, they're friends of the podcast, too. I think one of them's been on the podcast. And right. so they, um, I don't want to out them, though, in case they don't want anyone to know that they went to the concert. But um, I, I don't know if there's a shame involved in that or, or guilt or anything. Um, but I, I thought it was cool. They wanted to know, how's he going to do this? And they study comedy. So they wanted to know that it was a very interesting situation for them, right? I thought that was pretty cool. Sure. But Woody Allen, you couldn't pay me to see it. Now, we own a copy that we got through someone of Midnight in Paris. Stag loves it. He wants me to watch it. I'd rather drink a glass of saliva. Yeah. And, you know, you know the thing, the thing is, it's not like, well, I don't know. I just wouldn't, I don't want to see any of his movies either. That's, 
I don't know how to describe that yeah. that feeling except that yeah. ew, I just ew. don't want anything to do with well, this guy. He has a double situation. He has the the situation. I believe his daughter. I watched the documentary on HBO with Mia Farrow and his daughter Dylan and and Rowan, and I believe his daughter that he did something with her up in the attic. So I'm done. Never mind the fact that he married one of Mia's adopted children, who was probably an extremely troubled child, a refugee from a war-torn country. I mean, what if you're taking advantage of somebody so vulnerable and your girlfriend? I mean, I who that that's its own thing that it bothers me. But then the fact that now your your other daughter said that you were up there diddling her and doing something weird with her far away from everybody. And um, not cool. Can't get it out of my mind. I mm. guess future generations can watch them as far as I'm concerned. Have at her. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't and know. And now, you say. know, I just really wonder how culturally important was Woody Allen now. <laughs> because I think back and I just look at him. And on this documentary, they went through his script writing where he would change the ages and make them lower and lower to be in his movies. So I just think that it's going to be pretty hard to imagine that it's going to be ever a pure movie watching experience to watch a movie, Woody Allen movie now, mm. no matter who you are. I think it's, it's, it's corrupted by him. Yeah. I would say if I had to make a generalization, I would say that if I was going to consume some media, whatever it is, whether it's music or film or mm -hmm. dance or whatever. And I saw that, um, one of the main people involved in it is somebody who I just know has like publicly we know has may has done like really horrible things and been really creepy to women or really creepy yeah. to whatever yeah um, or whoever. It certainly causes causes me to pause and really ask the question: Do I want to have anything to do with this? or yeah. not yeah. and and i don't know what if the answer is always going to be the same and mm -hmm. maybe that's hypocritical i don't know but uh it's, i just have difficulty getting my brain around that right. because behaviors and what people do in the context of what they do and how they what they do after what they've done all of those things really uh, come into play when when you kind of assess that situation well, and certainly for Alan, it does because he actually wrote that fetish and his obsession into the roles, into the scripts of having teenage girls. He had a college student, she was 20. They show the script and it's crossed off to 18, crossed off to 17. So he willfully was doing that even in his art. Um, however, I think a lot of art can stand on its own over time and out of question. And again, if you're a jerk, and even if you grab someone's ass at a party, I'm not going to not watch your movie or not be with you because at least if it was at a party, as I say, women have a right to say something. It's when it's in the workplace and you're afraid of losing your job. And then if it's criminal rape and um, sexual abuse, that's a whole different thing. Um, I'm looking at some of my notes here. Um, Pee Wee Herman, for example, I never thought that should have been a thing. He was in a movie theater. It wasn't a busy movie theater. It was a movie theater where people went there to jerk off. Mm. Um, it was a, an adult film setting. Is it right? Is it healthy? It may not be sanitary. I don't know. But in a way, I, I, I thought it was really freaking cheap for anyone to arrest mm. you for that. Um, it's an adult movie theater. Who cares? I don't care if he does it at home. 
I don't care if he does it in a dark movie theater. And um, I'm glad he's one person who I'm so glad had a, a, his career was able to switch and kind of blossom. And he's, he's got his voice again, you know, he's been kind of vindicated from that. Oh, what does he do now? Is I have it's, not heard well, anything he, from him. He does odds and ends. He, um, is he getting cast in movies? No, but he might not have been cast in movies anyway, because he is a, an unusual person, but I don't think everybody is blacklisting him. It's, it's not because he's blacklisted that he's not in movies or TV. I don't think I've seen him on, on some game shows. I've seen him. Um, he has an avid presence online. He's quite funny on the internet. And um, if he has a lot of followers, he's probably got a job from that. Right. Yeah. You know, what did uh, years ago, what did Rob Lowe do that got him in all kinds of hot water? Oh, this is an interesting story. He was at, he was very involved in politics and he was, um, I think it was a democratic convention and he was partying and he went to bed with two women. Not a big deal, right? It turns out that one of those women was underage. Ooh. And that whether or not he knew it, but there was another person. She didn't get any repercussions for it. Isn't that interesting? Mm. She was an adult. So was Rob Lowe. No one charged her or, or did anything with her about it. It was all on Rob Lowe because he was a so celebrity. I would say he's someone who, in terms of the greater public, has been, to use maybe a cliche term, rehabilitated. In that Absolutely. he's all over television now. Yes. And I think that he changed his life. He He's sober. He has made decisions being sober. He, you know, settled down. And um, I think it was probably Mike Myers that gave him the, the, uh, the job as number two on Austin Powers and got him back into pop culture in uh, the Austin Powers series. I think it was Mike Myers. And so he's lucky. And also, you know what? Yeah, it wasn't nice, but I think it was an accident that she was underage. And it was also, from my mind, it was always, this is hypocritical on the people saying this. Yeah, Rob Lowe shouldn't have done it, but what about the woman that was with him too? It showed the hypocrisy of um, building morals. Um, you know, now he's a Republican, so maybe that helps too. I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to see if I have any other things of, you know, the other thing is, then there's the other part where someone's super annoying, like you said, like that artist in Banff. Super annoying. Can you still love their art? Did you still like his art afterwards? I had difficulty. <laughs> I really did. I, yeah. I, he really was, he came right down from that pedestal for me. Yeah. But also I was someone who was in maybe my early twenties yes. and I was looking up to numerous artists whose work I, I really thought was, was interesting to me as somebody who was trying to figure out how to how to make paintings yeah what that was all about yeah. and so i i was looking up to to some artists for sure and it's very difficult when when you think someone's very special based on your work and you meet them and you think they're not nearly so special right as their work is and right. then what i found when i saw this guy's work again i found it was a lot less special because all i could think about was the wow. behavior that i saw Wow, that's so funny. Yeah, for me, again, I'm going to say 99% of the time, I don't care what they are like as a person. You know, uh, if I like their artwork, I'm going to like their artwork. It's probably not going to change. If I found out Ensife Kiefer was just a, um, you know, a decadent, rude, 
he didn't tip his waiter, I would be very disappointed. But if he was beating his wife, well, then I think at that point, I'm going to go revisit that. And I would blame the lifestyle as well as not just the artwork, because can, what's happening is, yeah, go ahead. Can you look at, can you look at paintings by Picasso today? That's funny. Okay. So I kind of put this by st Stag this morning and, um, and Stag cannot separate the artist from the art. <laughs> He's full fledged. I mean, we just got so hot and heated talking about it this morning. He cannot separate it. Well, and it's, it's hard. And it's... he dropped Picasso. And I said, what the hell did Picasso do? So what did Picasso do? Was he a womanizer? I, I don't know if he did anything illegal, but he was certainly had the reputation of being a womanizer and, I, and, I and, a, and misogynist. Yeah, I don't care. Don't care. Um, there's not an old white man in the world that wouldn't be a womanizer or a misogynist. I, I, I would have no art to look at, you know, left <laughs> if we took that out. So, um, and you, you know, um, no, I would you, would you read, would you read a Harry Potter book? I've never read a Harry Potter book. Yeah, me too. I, I couldn't answer um, that question either because I've never yeah, read it. I don't know. Can we, but I really, I was really unimpressed with the alleged author of those books, um, making, making anti-trans comments was not, was not cool. Right. And they were also not even very interesting anti-trans comments. They seemed very mis, um, misleading or an agenda that I did not understand that part went right over my head I, I didn't really understand them um if she did it um you know and also why 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 are you even talking about it I just don't know at the very least Dave Chappelle did it in the context of art and so therefore we can criticize his art on that level but um Picasso I don't care if he is a womanizer that has nothing to do with anything to me at all he that's not breaking the law if he beat the women I would be disappointed and worried about it I, um that would be something that would change it for me is actually breaking the law and, and, and transgressing in a very um terrible abusive way womanizing is abusive to women you listen i watched f boy island remember so picasso was an f boy i could be friends with him i could look at his art but i wouldn't have dated him <laughs> okay so can you listen to eric clapton music i'm not an eric clapton fan really at all never anyway. really was i shot the sheriff was okay i really like that song but i also really love but it also wasn't his and i really love reggae so there was a little crossover there um now eric clapton you're talking about recent um i'm talking about racist rants yes yes now i also didn't like him because of the whole george harrison wife thing but i never would have not listened to his music for that well i, I mean that's to, to me that's the same as uh correct asker yorn and alishinsky one of them one of them was or apple i don't know yes. somebody was stealing somebody's wife in cobra yes. Yes, and exactly. it's like well yeah do what you got to do I don't, yeah. know, I don't care i don't call that something and in the same way I don't mind that. And if somebody in politics has a sexual scandal, I don't love it, but I wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be the end of maybe something they did per se. Maybe it's worse in politics than it is in art, but also it's not my life. They're not hurting me. And if some woman is going to go and be with a, a married person, you're going to deal with it. It's, it's not, it's not particularly, I guess it was illegal at one point, but it's really not something I would call a transgression. So yeah, I, I wouldn't count that. I, I really do like late Picasso. Um, Stag asked me about William Burroughs. I said, what did he do wrong? <laughs> now he did accidentally 
play target practice like William Tell, apple on the head with his wife and other yeah. people, and he killed her. I do not believe... <laughs> which, is, which is really not a good thing to do. It's a horrible, horrible thing. Um, I think he burnt in hell himself. It was terrible. I don't think he meant to do it. I don't think he meant to kill her. I think they were drunk and drinking and high. And it's that gun culture bullshit stuff. I think that it was an accident. He said he's paid for it the rest of his life. You know, he put it into his literature that he was suffering in Naked Lunch. And, um, you know, that did not stop me from loving William Burroughs. Maybe I'm a twisted squirrel. I don't know. <laughs> but that wasn't uh, so a thing. Let's, let's ask our listeners, what do you think about this? Can you separate the art from the artist? Email us at theagency.podcast at gmail.com. And speaking of email, I understand we have an email this week, Candy. Would oh, you like yeah, to read it? Yes, I would like to read it if I can open it up here. Let me give me a second. I'm trying to see if I have any more things. You know what I watched? I watched something really good. Well, I've been watching Making the Cut. Oh, yes. We're watching that, too. Oh, yeah. Well, really Sheila's good. watching it while I read with it on in the background. Did you, speaking of behavior, what did you think? Did you see Jeremy Scott have a meltdown last week? I didn't notice. Oh, yeah. Um, he had a fit. Well, who's Jeremy Scott? He's the one that dresses very flamboyant. He's a big uh, guy in the middle. It sits in the middle of them. Is he the older fellow who with really nice suits? Yes. Okay. I'm sure he's going to be horrified to find out that you call him older. But yes, he is older. I think, <laughs> I think he's probably this, the same age as Heidi. Um, that's how... I got a security alert. Okay, here we have an email. I found it. Okay, this is from... I don't know what we would do without you, Adamandia. You are the best email writer on the planet. Thank you so much. And Adamandia has said, hi there. I just finished the book by TJ English, Jazz in the Underworld, Dangerous Rhythms, August 2022. I recommend it. The author describes the culture around jazz and the criminal underworld. I liked reading the anecdotes of the jazz musicians and was saddened and horrified at their treatment by the mob owners. Ooh. I know we got to check this book out. Yeah, one, I think we have to read this one. It sounds really interesting. So. Right up our alley. Yes. One interesting piece of trivia was where the word hip came from. Its origin is in prohibition culture. The mob owners of clubs claimed they couldn't account for customers bring, bringing their own hip flask of whiskey and thus not responsible. These jazz aficionados were called hip or hipsters. <laughs> there you that go. That is pretty cool. I didn't know that. I never would have guessed that. Uh, I don't think I knew it either. I mean, when she said it, I was like, oh, I can't tell. You know what? You got to see the, the Ken Burns documentary, Prohibition. It's really cool. Very cool. Okay. Well, I'm going to talk in a minute about a book about Prohibition. Oh, funny. Hmm. Okay. So I did been watching Making the Cut. Really like it. I did agree that their festival wear was boring on that episode but i watched something else that was absolutely fascinating if you don't I, mind. I, I thought the festival wear was boring too but yeah. i wasn't going to comment because i don't know anything about fashion i don't know how to judge right so but for me yeah. you know sometimes i see the clothing that they come up with and i go these people are really creative this stuff's fantastic right yeah but the festival wear and eh, so less so I don't know what the hell happened there. It was really crazy. Um, my girlfriend said, though, she said, oh, my God, Candy, I thought about you when I, because one of my friends maybe thought I was a little bit whack with my, um, you know, I'm making cover-ups that are good for 
festival wear, raves, the beach, the casino, the pool. And um, she said, when I saw what Nicole Richie was wearing on that episode, I went, oh my God, you, you got it, girl. <laughs> because she had like these puffy, like, pom-poms well, on her shirt. I know our listeners want to know if they've seen on the social medias the fabulous beachwear <laughs> that, that you're making, how could they get some of that on their bod? Well, I did build an Etsy page, but I'm waiting. I'm still doing the paperwork. I have a little bit more paperwork to do on it, but it should be up by the end of this week. All right. So there'll be an opportunity for people to go That's and right. get some merch. Yes. And um, the other thing is, and I'm working on some t-shirts for the agency too. Um, oh, yeah. So listen, I watched another great thing. We don't have to talk about it too long. You might want to watch it. It was fantastic. It's called Lorena. Do you know what that was about? Lorena Bobbitt? Yes, it is. Whoa! It, it's a four-part series produced by our friend Jordan Peele, who did Nope. Oh, really? Yes. I, that really blew my mind when I saw him come up in the credits. And then I was like, well, I'm definitely watching. You know when you start on... Uh, you start a series, you don't know if you're going to be into it or not. His name came up and I went, I don't care. I'm watching it. Um, and it was really, so really good. all you have to do to make your name famous forever is bite off somebody's penis. Well, really? <laughs> except that's not what happened. That's not what happened. She was beaten and raped over and over again. For, for uh, yeah, I understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's really good is that they kind of do this incredible journey of the all sides of the story his side who he is his family her family it's an incredible um, mini series documentary i highly recommend watching it i'm i'm glad that um it's out there there were things i had no idea that had happened and were going on and i just really recommend it i think young people are going to watch it what year really, was it it happened in 93 i believe yeah, it's quite some time ago, you know, aside from ago. associating the name Lorena with right. the actual act that drove the fame. Yes. Um, I really didn't know very much about the story at yeah. all. Well, or maybe was... I did at the time, but so long ago. All well, I sure, remember was the name. sure. For me, too. And, and you know, the, you know, at some point it's just messy. But yes, she was beaten. She was a battered wife and, and she was an immigrant from Venezuela. So the, she was afraid of being he always told her he would send her back to. Uh, you know, get her, her kicked out of the country. And um, so it'd be very interesting. I do not condone removing uh, genitals. I'm even against all circumcision and everything. That's how much I would not want to believe in it. But anyway, um, you know, driven to, to, to insanity. So anyways, I recommend it. It's a really excellent documentary. Very, very telling, very interesting. Well I've watched one thing that I can think of, of note, let's say, yeah. and that's a, a film that somehow maybe got pandemicked. Like it, it probably would have got some play at the theaters um, uh -huh. had we not been in the midst of a, of a right. pandemic when it came right. out. Um, it's called The Duke and oh. it's a drama comedy and it's starring a fabulous character actor named Jim Broadbent and co-starring Helen Mirren as his exasperated wife. Did you have a chance to see this one <laughs> no, yet? Oh, I forgot to watch it. I just completely forgot about it. It's based on a, a true story. It's directed by Roger Mitchell. And the true story's uh, set in 1961. And it's a story about a 60-year-old cab driver who steals a Goya from the National Gallery in London. Oh, I love and that. it's the only time a painting's ever been stolen from the National Gallery in London. And you know why he did it? 
he did it because he was pissed off because they taxed senior citizens for having a TV set in Britain. Oh, wow. And so he stole the painting and was prepared to ransom it back in exchange for the government caring for the elderly better. Wow. So the guy's like a hero in a way. Yes. Um, but of course, <laughs> you know, he's doing the, doing a crime and, and um, is crime justified if it serves a greater purpose? This guy thought so, I guess. Uh-huh. You know, but it's a dangerous idea, isn't it? Even if it seems attractive at times. Civil disobedience. Yes. Yeah. Um, the laws don't get changed until we break the law surrounding it, usually. There you go. There's an opinion on civil disobedience. <laughs> <laughs> or an observation. So I prefer um, so, observation. So this yep. film is charming. It's a little bit sentimental. It's delightful to watch. I highly recommend it. It streams somewhere in one of the streaming machines. I think I and, couldn't find it. And it's really, it's really a delight. If you can get it, watch it. Uh, I'm not going to say too much about it, except to say that um, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, well, who doesn't like an art heist movie, really? Well, who doesn't? And especially with uh, social commentary involved. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, there's a new movie coming out with Michael K. Williams, one of his last films. And I forgot the name of it. I don't know the name of it, but it's a bank robbery movie. He's the, the negotiator, Michael K. Williams. And the person robbing the bank is trying to bring light to something. Michael K. Williams. That's Omar, Omar. we're talking about. Yes. Okay. Yes, who died. It took me a minute. took me a minute. Yeah, died I don't always year. know my actors. Yes. Um, he died last year. Um, and so the other fellow, I've forgotten his name. He... Um, I just watched them in something else too. But anyway, um, it looks like it's going to be a very good movie. It's also a heist bank robber movie with social commentary, like Dog Day Afternoon, right? In Dog Day Afternoon, he was trying to get money to pay for trans surgery. Do you remember that? Yeah. 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 Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, oh, I'm going to flash back to something else I watched. All right. House of Hammer. Totally topical to what we're talking about. It's about the arm, the Hammer family. They owned Occidental Petroleum Company, and they're a rich intergenerational family for four generations. And last year, in the middle of the pandemic, Army Hammer, who plays the twins in the social network, he gets exposed by women he's been dating as being a sicko. Not only a sicko, tying them up and claiming to be a cannibal and uh, controlling them. And and yeah, and so there are legal allegations and legal repercussions in the process right now. It turns out that his aunt had written her own self-published book um, seven years ago. And a couple of bloggers and people had followed that book or read it. And um, we're very curious about it. And someone made this documentary, three parts, and they interview Kat, Casey Hammer, who's the granddaughter of Armand Hammer, who created Occidental Oil Company. And I'll tell you, the first thing I thought when I was watching this was Succession. Hmm. And then during the, during the documentary, she said she tried to watch Succession and couldn't watch it. It was too much like her own damaged family. Wow. And there's wife abuse, murder, uh, beatings, 
mind games, gaslighting throughout the whole, all these generations of men in that family. And it fits right into, because now Army Hammer is going to be able to be in a movie. He was in Death on the Nile. I started watching it before I realized it was him. And I still watched it. It was a good, cute movie, fun. But I was like, wow, this has got to be his last movie. <laughs> Apparently he's doing timeshares now. Timeshares? Timeshares, yeah. Well, I guess he can't get a job in Hollywood now. Oh, I see. Yeah. So well, I would I would recommend it too. It was pretty good. Before I, I went camping, knowing I was going to have some time to just relax at a campsite yeah. and do some reading. And I was kind of expecting it to rain while I was there mm -hmm. because, you know, that's what happens when you go camping, you cause rain. So I wanted to have a book. So in front of our house, as you know, we have oh, one yeah. of the little libraries yeah. um, that's in an old munitions box with bits of the alphabet stamped all over it. <laughs> uh, in any case, I went in there to find a book. Yeah. And I decided I would find a book, which would be something that was really different than anything I would normally read. Oh, because sometimes you really learn things when you oh. go outside of your comfort zone and read something that you would never dream of reading. Yes. So the first thing that jumped out at me was a book that claimed to be a thriller. It was uh, called Blind Tiger, a novel by someone named Sandra Brown. Yeah. Right now, I never heard of Sandra Brown. I didn't know anything about her, but I read the back of the cover jacket. Here's what it said. Sandra Brown is the author of 73, that's 73 New York Times bestsellers. There are more than 80 million copies of her books in print worldwide, and her book and her work has been translated into 34 languages. To put that in perspective, a bestseller in Canada sells 5,000 copies. Yes. Okay, there are 80 million copies <laughs> yeah. of her books in right. print. Okay, in 2008, the international thrillers writer named Brown its thriller master, the organization's highest honor. She has served as president of Mystery Writers of America and holds an honorary doctorate of human humane letters from Texas Christian University, and she lives in Texas. So, oh. I mean, she's got this has got to be good, right? Yeah. And it says right on the front, USA Today says a masterful storyteller. This is going to be a hell of a book. But first, I wanted to just think about how possible it would be to have to write 73 New York Times bestsellers. So oh. the first thing I did was I went to the wiki page to find out just how many books she's actually written. Oh, so as Rachel Ryan, she wrote five books in the oh. Dell Candlelight Ecstasy Romances series. As Laura ja Jordan, she wrote two novels. As Erin St. Clair, she wrote 12 Harlequin silhouette romances, plus two in the Astray and Devil series. As Sandra Brown, she wrote nine Dell love swept romances, two bed and breakfast series, uh, two historical <laughs> romances in the Coleman family saga Ooh. series. Um, two Mason Sisters series books, Texas, the Tyler Family Saga series, three books, and then single title romance suspense thrillers, 40, plus omnibus. I'm not sure what the category of omnibus refers uh -huh. to, seven. So that's a, a, a total of, she's written 86 God. books. She incredible? started writing on a dare from her husband, allegedly. Oh. 
1981, which means that to this year, she's had 42 active years, which means that she would have to write to get those 86 books written. She would have to be writing two a year for 42 years. It's insanity. And now let me tell you, here is, I'm going to just hold up to the camera here. Uh, I know our listeners can't see it. I'm looking. This is 502 pages. Of oh, Sandra wow. Right wow. Here. I mean, this woman cranks out the pages. Now, this one. So knowing all of this, it's got to be good, right? Are you going to read a little bit for us? Oh, I am, of course. Um, this one here is is set in Prohibition times in Texas, oh. where, where a young woman whose husband had just blown his own head off becomes a moonshiner. Ooh. And of course, there's a romance going throughout the whole thing. I hope so. So, yeah, so I'm going to read a little bit about this. Right. And then maybe we could talk about the popular novel a little bit. It's fascinating. Okay. I really hadn't thought very much about this until I realized the sheer volume of oh stuff. Oh now, God. you might understand the volume when you hear the prose. Uh, I don't know. You could tell me what you think. I don't remember what you said this morning. Her voice lacked conviction and substance and instead sounded raspy with desperation. You remember. No, I don't. He didn't grab her. She didn't even see him move. She had no warning at all before he was just there, his hands encircling her waist, his fingers tensing and drawing her against him, flesh against him, flesh against him. (laughs) I guess that's a Freudian slip, isn't it? Uh, Fitting them together, he felt solid and strong and ensuring in durable presence, safe except for the quickening in her center that he incited and the unchecked recognition with which her body responded. Unchecked. His, His breath was damp and warm against her neck as... He, saw, he sighed her name, the one she had forbidden him to use, but which sounded so sweet now as he nuzzled her ear and whispered, stay away from lefties. <laughs> Don't play card with lefty. Oh, man. Wow. I read 500 pages of that dribble. Well, it's so, very accessible. I can see it being very compelling reading. Well, here's what it is. Uh, it's a page yeah. turner. Yeah. What she's very, very good at, or her and her staff, because I believe that to write at that rate, you yeah. need to have a full staff who are writing drafts for approval, who are researching, who are doing focus groups, because she's got an 86% rate of her books becoming New York Times bestsellers. Wow. I could write 86 books, and I'm pretty certain that it's unlikely that any of them are going to be New York Times bestsellers. Um, in well, fact, I'm still waiting for my graphic novel to, to be recognized by the New York Times. I know. It I has know. not happened yet, Candy. It has not well, happened. There is. That's a genre writing. She's writing for a particular genre. It's got the um, excitement of a romance novel. And it has the um, got a mystery and secrets. And it's easy to read. So <clears throat> it is easy to read, although she does throw in some words that wouldn't be in everybody's lexicon. Sure. But I think she just throws them in so that we think she's smart. <coughs> Excuse me. No, I think I think maybe because I think she is smart. I think she's intelligent. And <coughs> she has decided to do it as a money-making venture. Yeah. And therefore, she has an audience, knows what they like. Well, we're clearly and, in the wrong business. 
we are clearly in the wrong business because first of all, you and I did say we were going to write one and we could barely get, uh, Oh, I know. We, in we the same got room. On, on paper. Well, at all. it looks like we do have to be in the same room to get it going. I think we do. Um, so, you know, obviously I have to come back up there and see you and we've got to have a workshop. Having said that, um, you know, a lot of times when you're traveling on a plane, a book like that can really draw you in and distract you from the uncomfort of these terrible seats on aircrafts. And that. So Absolutely. It goes a long way that way. Yes, um, for, for sure. A, a book like this, and this one in particular, it draws you into the plot and the plot just roars forward. Yes. It's no. got all kinds of action and romance and fights and blood and gore and um it's got everything you, everything. you name it you, yeah. anything you might want it's got yeah and it's a style um is it yes it's got some a few big challenging words but it's written for you not to feel too worn out it would probably keep you awake for a little bit but not enough to keep you awake all night and um to keep you going so i read one of her books uh, my friend karen had said listen it's not that great written but it's a good escape that's what she described. And, and that's a good way of describing her yeah, work, really. Yeah. yeah. And um, Kendall leaves her husband, Matt, who is involved in a strange sect. She is, traded, she is tracked down by an ex-agent, John. And when he has an accident and suffers amnesia, Kendall pretends they are married. But her past catches up with her as Matt comes looking for her and John regains his memory. Yeah. That's brilliant. Come on, that's a great idea for a, a story. Right there, you you know, amnesia. I remember when Guy Madden said amnesia is always very good for developing a plot. <laughs> and, and, yeah, you and, need something to happen that's hard to make. But happen. also, and to conveniently draw concepts together, too, you can you can get away with anything with amnesia. It's true. Line, right? And that's why soap operas always have amnesia. Because, um, you know, you can come back from the dead after that. <laughs> the comas, whatever, so right? This was, I would equate this book with um what's that guy that the who called himself the painter of light that right-wing christian thomas dude Kincaid, sure. thomas Kincaid. i yeah. i think she's very much like the thomas Kincaid of the writing world okay i would say john right. grissom too only john grissom is throwing around a bit more legal terms and mm. maybe he's a little more hard-boiled uh yes yes it, maybe the romance wouldn't be as sentimental correct and, um, you know, then you compare it to the hard-boiled, the real, um, you know, the film noir, and they're just so gritty. You're not going to, there's going to be a lot of people that just don't enjoy that. Well, it's yes, it's interesting, you know, that you mentioned that, because if I look at a um, a Jim Thompson book, for instance, Dash which, right, I mean, we would immediately say, oh, yeah, that's Pulp Fiction, Yeah, you know, and you might even look down on it because it's Pulp Fiction, but I see Jim Thompson very, very much as a kind of literature which which rises above popular fiction in lots of ways. Uh, um, I, I think because of the starkness of it, because of the darkness and the starkness, I would well, say. I, I'm going to contrast Sandra Brown to Dashiell Hammett and Jim Thompson right away. They, they were writing genre. They're all writing pulp fiction. So is Sandra Brown. But those two guys and that the, the film noir or the uh, noir fiction that is existentialism so you're not going it's got the yes. vibe of existential yes. at the end of the day you know that the woman's going to get through this and she'll probably fall in love with john the, the agent and yeah. you know and they're she's going to be saved her husband's not going to you know the bad guys are going to get caught 
it's all going to be okay. There's an optimism as probably if, if I wanted to improve her work, yeah. I would say, all right, go back and give me another draft, no more than 150 pages. Yeah. Because one of the things that she does is, is she takes the ingredients and she mixes them up with a blender on high speed for about two days. And, and then she pulverizes them with a giant punch press until everything is turned into the tiniest little specks of, of pablum that you don't have to, she, she spoon feeds you absolutely every little drop of this pablum. So yeah. you don't have to think for yourself about anything. I have a feeling there's a lot of women that really enjoy that. That they really I'm, enjoy. I'm sure there's lots of men who enjoy it too. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm considering that she's probably a, a writer that appeals to women. And um, hey, and I did not enjoy this book. I enjoyed well, reading it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just saying that there's a style in there that I would say I've read with romance novels. There's a pacing and there is that part where they break down every emotion, every piece of clothing. And I, it's not my taste. I've had a couple of friends. You know, I met a woman in Shelby, Montana, and um we met, I was traveling through there and we got along really well and exchanged address and were pen pals for a while. And she mailed me her favorite novel and it was about a thousand pages. It was a romance novel and there was no way I wasn't going to read it because I was kind of thrilled that she gave me a book to read, but it really was similar to Sandra Brown. Only, you know, it just broke down. She would analyze every emotion she was feeling. I was like, okay, well, this is very interesting. It was like Madame Bovary on steroids, mm. you know? Uh, yeah, the, the other thing I would say about this, it was said in like prohibition times. Yeah. Clearly, either Sandra Brown or one of her team <laughs> spent a good deal of effort researching what what moonshining during Prohibition Texas was like yeah. and um had lots of details prepared Pretty in order to write about the stills and the, the, the hollows that that they were hidden in and what mm. what they needed. They needed a spring and a rock oh. face and different things. Um, she had all those details in there and had figured out, you know, um, ways in which uh, the product could be distributed. Oh, that's so, pretty interesting. Yeah. So, for instance, in, in this book, the, uh, the female heroine uh, bakes pies and she sells her pies and when the pies are being delivered she also sells jars of corn liquor ah you know the other thing is this is you know it's funny with jim thompson and uh ellery queen whoever their peers are raymond chandler um dashiell hammett raymond chandler is that there's like because of the boiled down style the distilled style uh, see what I did there, the distilled style of writing. There's a way that that becomes very artistic. And um, because I think you just give into it. Whereas I would describe Sandra Brown as not being very artistic or literary, what we would call that artsy literary style of. Um, well, it doesn't encourage you to use your imagination, to bring your life experience and your imagination to the book, which I think the best books do. Yeah, well, you're uh, that you like, and maybe it is appealing to people that don't want to do that. You know, they are in their imagination by imagining what she's describing. That's how they use their imagination by bringing to life in their head what she's describing. Does that make sense? 
Whereas uh, some writers, well, yes, yes, you're talking about you're talking about um, doing a paint by number as opposed to a painting. Maybe, maybe, maybe. You know, I like paint by numbers. I bought one last week. Ten dollars. Go. It's gorgeous. It's for stag. It's a cute little boat scene. I'll share a picture of we it. Have, we have a cute little boat scene paint yes, by number you do. in our bathroom. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Um, so I was really uh, fascinated by the number of personas oh, that this writer had. Yes. Like, she had, let's see, herself. Um, Aaron St. Clair is two. Laura Jordan is three. Uh, Rachel Ryan is four. So so that we know about, she was writing under four different names. Wow. She's like the Jeff Koons of... Uh, of cranking letters. It's she's fascinating fun. to me. She definitely uh, has to have a staff. Absolutely. Yeah, to be able to do it. And there has to be like a process. Yeah. So you have a process and a basic formula for your books. And then you throw the content in, you send the researchers out, and um, then you start assembling that content. And then you, you can decide how you can weave a romance through that plot, add a little suspense at the end. Uh, some of the people get killed off. And, um, and there you go. Now, I think that would be a great model for um, AI to, to become build storytelling. Because it sounds like you could replace that with AI. Yes, you probably could, huh? Mm -hmm. Now, maybe that's cruel to say. Maybe there's, I don't there's, mean it. there's things in yeah. her writing which, um, which have some humanity beyond what we're attributing to them. Hey, I can't write a novel. I'm not writing two novels a, a, a year. I absolutely applaud That's two novels her. a year for 42 straight I years. I absolutely applaud that is a talent. That's a skill. I know that people are really enjoying them. They don't go on to those New York Times best lessons. It doesn't mean that everyone is Cormac McCarthy or Mayor Coom. What's our, the other guy we like? Mayor uh, Wind Up Bird Chronicle, for example, of what I would Mayor call. Mayor Kami, what I would call very literary novels, for lack of a, I don't know how you would describe that. Um, but there's a place for that, you know? I would kill to be able to do that. For sure. Be, and and this one, this one is going I back into its place at our book box. Yes. Um, you know, I talked to someone the other day who was getting some books out of it. Yeah. And he said, he said, I really want to thank you. And I oh. said, what do you mean? And he said, you know, during the pandemic, they closed the library. Hmm. And, and he said, his wife said, you know, there's various different little libraries around the neighborhood. You should check them out. I'll bet you'll find some good stuff to read. So since that time in 2020, when the libraries were closed, he's been going around to the, uh, the book boxes and finding his reading material. And he told me he's found all kinds of really wonderful books, some of which were surprising because they weren't something that he would ever go look for, but there they were presented within the, the group of books in the box. And he's been having a great time over the past couple of years um, re reading books that other people have offered up. Mm. I think that's very cool. Mm -hmm. Maybe feel re really good that he just keeps going to these places and sharing and reusing the books. Super. Now, I know reusing books isn't great if you're an author, but, you know, I bet you any author would be happy that their book was being read, even if it was being recycled. Right. right. Very cool. And yeah, and you know, like I said, um, I'd kill to be able to write her books. I, I'd like to be able to get that structure down and then oomph it. <laughs> like by reducing it, 150 pages is too small for me. I, I, 
I want a, 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 I want enough in there to be like 225. Okay. Because then you yeah, I'm okay with that. And I'm not against long books. You know, I like yeah, long books yeah. just fine. Yeah. But, you know, I, I kind of would like a, a little bit more substance than I got from this for the investment in the pages. Yeah. But consider that you've got, that's going to get you to your business conference. It's going to get you through the hotel room and it's going to get you back home again. And it's not impossible that people are writing books for that very trip. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's okay. Like I said, I really enjoyed it because the one I read, it had amnesia. It had this. Was it formulaic in some way? Yes. Yes, it, it was. But sometimes that just feels good. Sometimes I have to watch a Hallmark Christmas movie. Hey, I just I, when I learned to read, the first thing I did was read all the Hardy Boys books. And they oh. were all formula. Yeah. Yes, that's true. I, I'm still I heartbroken books, that Franklin W. Dixon didn't exist. Oh, yeah. Well, when I read Nancy Drew, I had no idea they were formulaic. I was the perfect market. I was the easy reader for that because it, I, I didn't see it happen. At one point, I remember noticing, wait a second, this is, something's happening here. And I was, it felt predictable. Mm. But, you know, I had to read my dad's Travis McGee novels. So there you go, because they sure. were more racy. <laughs> my dad read travis mcgee as well yes yes well anyway I, this isn't the kind of book that normally i would talk about but right. i did i did read it i did take myself out of my normal comfort zone i appreciate because i wanted to think about it and yes um and i yes. wanted to enjoy what was good about this kind of writing totally. um, and understand what isn't good uh you certainly understand a little bit more about what you like in writing when you read stuff Absolutely. that doesn't do it for you. Also imagine you've had a baby, you're up in the middle of the night, you're so tired. You don't, maybe your baby's a year old. This might be the perfect kind of book that you can kind of sit back, squish it in. You're not worried about um, existentialism or experimental literature. Like I wouldn't be reading a book by Cormac McCarthy after having a baby. You know what I mean? I'd so you're, you're saying that sometimes in our lives, we just want some escape. Escape in something that's super, it's like eating a mac and cheese uh -huh. instead of cordon bleu, you know? And you don't have time to make the cordon bleu today. You have time to make the mac and cheese. And you can squish it in into your day. And you know what? Um, I would like to suggest that we um, have a list of rom-coms that we watch and have a rom-com episode. Maybe we could do that. All right. I've got a couple maybe, of movies I want maybe, to suggest maybe, for you. Maybe um, we'll schedule that. You talk to my producer and we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll schedule that for another time. Yeah. My people will talk to your people. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> that reminds me of, uh, of this wonderful song that David Bromberg performs called I'll Take You Back. Oh. It's a blues. Oh. And it starts out where he sings about how um, his girlfriend put him down, put him down and treated him like a clown and and left him and uh and now she realizes she had it pretty good and she wants to come back and he says yeah i'll take you back when bootsy ain't funky and king kong ain't a monkey i'll wow, take you back wow when tv preachers are sending cash to me i'll take you back wow i'm so <laughs> i know i wrote some rom com titles down thinking about this and this would be like in the summer i thought of it so anyway i will text you a, 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 at least a list i would like it if you would watch 
okay, I'll, I'll see if and I can, can do that. We can put it down a couple of episodes in the future just to, you know, like four or five movies, take some time to see them. We also didn't watch a revisionist Western and the other Western that Terry recommended. So we got to do that too. I thought we did watch one revisionist Western. We watched one movie he recommended. Oh yeah, we did watch one of the movies. Yeah, Near West. We did. Yeah. But he had two more on there, I thought. Or oh. then a classic Western, a classic Western. Okay, well, we could do that too. We can do that too. Okay, we good. We can do that too, for sure. All right. Uh, hey, it's good to be back. It is good to be back, and I'll talk to you soon, I guess. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye.